We are learning Daf Gimel. We're starting right from the top over here. Yesterday, we were looking at the word of Kinoi. Kinoi is a difficult word to translate. So we understood yesterday it means that it causes anger, it causes jealousy. We saw two opinions yesterday. It's so causing jealousy between the wife and the rest of the world when they can't understand how come she's not secluding herself with us anymore, so they get upset at her. Or is it causing jealousy, hatred between the wife and her husband? But the Gemara's conclusion, everyone agrees that it's something bad. Kinoi has a negative connotation in the sense that it's causing fighting. However, as the Gemara says, there's an opposing opinion here. There's a according to opinion that says it's permitted for a person to warn his wife, meaning it's not considered to be a wrong thing. He's nervous, he's suspicious about her, then that's the correct thing to do. So Ma'alosh and Kinoi, then what does Kinoi mean? Obviously, it shouldn't have negative uh, implications if it's something that's allowed to be done. So Amar Nachmar Yitzvak, in Kinoi Loshon Hasra. Kinoi, it doesn't mean jealousy or hatred, it just means warn. Shem will warn about his land. So over there, we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not, not going to cause anger or jealousy. It's just that he's giving a warning sign about his land, and that's what it means here. It says the Gemara, Tanya, it says in a Brisa, what happens when you have someone who's sinning in, in, in private? And Rashi's explaining that this is a reference to the Sota because obviously she's doing stuff. There's bad rumors about her. Her husband's nervous about her. Who takes that and he proclaims it in public. And that's the halacha. That's what Hashem said. Hashem is going to put a certain like... Um, like a sense, a sixth sense or a suspicious feeling in the husband's heart and it will cause him to warn her and then everyone's going to know about it. So that's the whole idea. The warning makes the, the, the suspicions of the husband into public knowledge. That's basically what it is. That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu's way of, of making sure that the sinners don't keep it inside. The Pasuk says like, literally like a, a ruach of kinah passed over him. What's a, what's, what does that mean? So we say that that means that it's like um, Hashem, like the spirit of jealousy, like it's, it's min ha-shamayim, that Hashem sent it, places it into the husband's heart to get him to, to expose his wife's identity. In Avera, Lashon the word Avera always has to do with making something public. So we see over there, Vayaviru was making a proclamation, something public. So to hear, the Avar Allah, Ruach means that the husband, he has the spirit from Hashem to be nervous about his wife, and then it's becoming public knowledge. Says the Gemara, another idea. Where does the root of every sin come from? Ruach of shtus, meaning it's not really you. The true self inside of us wouldn't sin. There's a certain foolishness which enters into a person. It's not just a, any, and it's a foolish thing in a way to sin. Anyone who thinks it through, it's not rational. However, it's a shtus which enters into us and causes it. ish ish ki ishto. So sista literally means to move away. His wife is moving away. But we expound sishtexiv. It's as if she acted like a shota. A shota is someone who's a fool. So the idea is that sin is really a foolish act and we're temporarily taken over by foolishness. Says the Gemara, we learned about this yesterday, that if there's kinoi and stiras, then she becomes a stira. She becomes a sota. If one witness, in addition to the kinoi and stira, says that I saw that she became tame, that I saw her defiled, I saw her having relations, then he is believed. That's, un- that's unique. Normally you need two. What is the reason? Why? Is Hashem believing a single witness for a sota Because there's a basis for the matter. In other words, it's not coming out of left field and saying, I know she committed adultery. There's a tremendous basis for his testimony. The husband had warned her not to seclude herself and she disregards the warning. She does it anyway. Now the single witness is telling us that she is defiled. So you put it all together. It's a strong There's a strong basis. And in fact, that's the truth. That's the truth of what happened. Okay. So what, what, what comes out? That what comes out is that the reason why we believe in Eid is only because there's previously been a Kino and Steer. 
And that's all part of the basis for the testimony. If not for the Kinnon Sira, if an Eidacha would just come out of left field and say, I saw a woman be Mazana, he wouldn't be believed. It's only after that there was a Kinnon Sira, that's when the Eidacha is now. So the Gemara asks, I'm like, Rabbi, the Psukim are mashman that way. Where does it speak about Kinnon in the Sota Parsha? Basar Sira Vatumahu Desiva. It says it after. The pasuk that taught us the Eidachar is Nema. If you take a look at the pasuk we saw yesterday, and then it says, "Oh, Then it says that there was a kinoi. So it sounds like the case of Eidachar being Nema is without kinoi. So we're saying the whole reason Eidachar is Nema is only because if there was kinoi in Sira, there's basis for his testimony. But in the order of the pesukim, it speaks about kinoi. After it spoke about the Eid Achad. So the Gemara explains, When the Torah says, and the spirit of jealousy passes over, it means it has already passed over. Meaning, yes, when the Torah says, it's written after the Eid Achad. But the way that what the Pasuk is saying is, and it had already happened. means that it, it, when am I telling you the Eid Achad is Neman? When previously, when it already occurred that the husband had had the spirit of jealousy in it and had warned his wife. So we're saying va'avar means in the past. That's our basic thing. Va'avar doesn't mean and now currently it's passing. The spirit of jealousy in the husband is warning, but rather va'avar, it happened in the past. So the Gemara says, is that true? Then normally that's what the word means. Elameyata, the va'avar means already passed over. Va'avar lacham kol Hachanami doesn't mean already passed over. So here we're talking about Bnei God of Bnei Reuven. So they wanted to settle in Abraham Yarvin. So Moshe said, I'm giving it to you now, but when the rest of your brothers go and fight for Eretz Yisrael, every armed person should go fight. So obviously that's talking about the future. It doesn't mean that already occurred. Vavar there means, and they will go and fight. So so do here. So the Gemara answer is Hasam over there. You have to see the context. It says the land will be conquered and then you'll return. Clearly, we're talking about future events. So there, Vavar means in the future. If you think that it's meant to be understood the way it's written in the, in the chronological order, then Vavar means afterwards, what's the point of a warning? Meaning she's already secluded herself. Right? If you would read the Psukim in the simple order, the seclusion happened, the Eidach had already testified, and then we say, oh, and now he warns her. Why would you warn her after the story already occurred? That's ridiculous. The warning is a prelude to the story. So obviously, in context, we understand that when the Apostle writes by the Sota of Avar, Allah and, and it says that he makes the kinoi, it means that the kinoi had already occurred. So bottom line is, we understand that the limitation, when is Eidach and by Sota to say that I saw the woman commit adultery, only before the Eidach spoke, we had already had testimony, we already had a kinoi in Stira. Says the Gemara, A person does not warn his wife, there has to be some spirit from Hashem that causes him to be jealous of his wife and to make the kinah. Everybody's focusing on this lashon of ruach kinah. There's a passing over him, a spirit of jealousy, and that is what's causing it. So what is this ruach? My ruach, a spirit of impurity, meaning to say the sat, it's a satan, it's a bad thing to make, to, to do it, and the satan is causing the husband to sin by warning his wife, and she could be innocent. That only further aggravates her and causes fighting. Obviously, this opinion is looking at it that kinoi is a bad thing. We had a machlokas in the beginning of the daf today. Is kinoi good or bad? Obviously, this opinion is saying bad. It's a spirit of purity, meaning just the opposite. You have to protect yourself. You have to make sure that, that you're not sleeping with a, with, a, with a woman who's an adulteress. So therefore, there's a, there's a spirit of purity which watches over the, the husband and causes him to warn his wife. Says like the opinion says that it's pure. The Tanya says in Bryce, when the Torah says it's giving you permission. 
the husband is allowed to warn his wife. He shouldn't think it's wrong. He may. Rabbi Kiva Omar Chova, Rabbi Kiva is saying, it's not, a, it's not just that he has permission, he is required. It's the correct thing to do. It's like a mitzvah to do. And the Gemara will explain where they're coming from, this interesting dispute, if it's permission or an obligation. So clearly, if you say we're talking about a spirit of purity shopper, then it's good. Now we can understand how it can either be discretionary or an obligation if we're talking about something which is beneficial. If you say that we're talking about something which is bad, you think there could be a discussion if it's discretionary or an obligatory to, to do something that's wrong? Obviously not. So we have, we have a machlux Rabbi Shema Rabbi Kiva about whether or not the kinoi is a Rishos or a Chova. Clearly the kinoi is a tahara sort of Indian. It's a good type of thing. We're concluding from these opinions that it's Hashem places inside of the husband to protect himself. Says the Gemara Gufa, let's get back to this. We're going to look at many machlokes in the Kinos Ishter Rishos, Kiva Chova. So this is talking about a coin. When a coin has a generally a coin cannot become Tame. However, for relatives, the Torah says, he can contaminate himself or her. So does that mean he may contaminate himself? It's okay. It's a Rishos. It's discretionary. Or does it mean it's a mitzvah? There's a mitzvah for the Kohen to go bury his relatives and become Tameh. So, according to Rabbi Shmuel, it's just permission. Rabbi Kiva, according to Rabbi Kiva, the Torah is giving a mitzvah, the Kohen has to go bury his relative and become Tameh. A third example, it says about the slaves that you should work them forever. This is talking about a Kanani slave. So the Torah, is it coming to say that he could work them forever? Meaning to say that you could work with them and, as opposed to killing them. And remember, the, the people in Canaan, Kalei had to kill. People from other nations, they didn't have to kill. So maybe the Pasuk is just saying there are certain types of slaves that you could keep as opposed to killing. Or as the Torah is saying, there's an obligation to always work a slave and it's forbidden to free a slave. It's forbidden to emancipate a Canaanite slave. Which one is it? So that's the dispute. We'll learn about it in a second. So now the Gemara tries to figure out what's going on here. What? Is there's a machlokas about all 613 things in the mitzvah? According to Rabbi Shmuel, all the ideas in the Torah are only permission, meaning there's just suggestions that you could do, but you're not obligated. Umar Machova and Rabbi Kiva says they're obligations. Like clearly that's ludicrous. Obviously the, the mitzvahs are chiyuvim. So why is it that by these three things in the Torah, we understand that there's a dispute between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva if they're Rosh Hashanah or So you have to look at each one in context and understand what's going on. So now we go through them. Where does Rabbi Shmuel come from to say that it's a discretionary mitzvah, not an obligation to warn his wife? He holds like this What does the Torah normally say? There's a forbidden, it's a lav in the Torah to hate your brother in your heart. You might think it applies to one's wife. If one's wife is secluding herself with another man, and the warning is going to cause fighting, animosity, all sorts of bad vibes. So therefore, maybe a person should refrain from warning his wife because, because there would be something where it uh, is going to cause losisna. So you might think it's forbidden to make a kinoi. The Torah says you may. So Rabbi Shmuel is saying is that the chiddush of the Torah that you could do kinoi is that it's mutter. You would have said it's aser to make a kinoi because you're causing hatred. You're inciting animosity. The kinyas ishto is that you're allowed to do it. That's why he's saying it's a rishos here. It says twice in the pasuk about warning. It mentions it twice. If you take a look at the pasuk, it clearly says 
Kinoi twice in it. It says that the spirit of jealousy passes over him and he warned his wife, or it says of a spirit of jealousy had warned him and warned his wife, and she became Tommy. So clearly there's two times where it speaks about warning. So the second time is what tells us it's a chiyuv. So you know why the Torah said the second time and I'm not caring? Because I did the Torah wrote it again because what's switching is that whether or not we have a doubt about whether or not she's, she became defiled when she did the stira. So the Torah is saying he warned her and she may have done it, or he warned her and she may not have done it. So since it had to say she did it or she didn't do it, so it also just by way of mentioning mentioned that he did a warning. Sometimes when the Torah is writing an extra apostle for one novelty, it will repeat tangentially other points as well. So you can't start expounding them and saying they're extra words. The Torah was writing it for what it was, it was, it was writing it for. Once it was writing it, it mentioned this extra point just for the symmetry. So we don't expound that. Now we go to the second dispute. This is for the coin. According to Rabbi Ishmael, it's a Rishos. It's saying the coin's allowed to. Rabbi Kiva Amar Chova, the coin has to. My time is Rabbi Ishmael. I did see if Amar Chova, the Aaron, the Matam, the Nefesh, the Tamavam, since it says, speak to the Kohanim, and it says it's normally also for them to become Tameh, it's Rechlemet of Lai Tamav, the Torah has to say, he may become Tameh for relatives. Meaning, it's not a mitzvah, it's just saying he's allowed to. Because the Torah, you would have said it's Osir, the Torah is saying he may. For Rabbi Akiva holds that it's a mitzvah, how does he respond? Because the Torah already said, except for relatives. So why does it have to say he will contaminate himself or her? The answer is it's coming to make it as, as an obligation. So it's a mitzvah. It's very interesting. Is it a mitzvah? It's a mitzvah to bury relatives, according to Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva. It's a whole shayla. Does that mean for a kohen it's a mitzvah to bury relatives? Or is this actually a source in the Torah for mitzvah to arise for everyone to bury relatives? If you're counting mitzvahs in the Torah now, according to Rabbi Akiva, is there one of 613 mitzvahs to bury relative? Or no? Is it unique to kohenim? It's a very interesting machlekes in the Rambam. All right. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Yishma, you know, I dash from It says he cannot contaminate himself for a severed limb. Remember, we learned in Nazir. That a severed limb gives off tumah. So, so could a coin be matame himself to bury a severed limb of a relative? And the answer is no, he cannot. So that's why law for her when she's fully intact, when the when the relative is a full corpse, only then he can become tame, but not if she is in, in limbs. Rabbi Akiva, who is a how does he know that top lamed beis? And can't look for law for lishok. Could have just said for her. For her would have been mashma a full body. Why is there a saying contaminate himself? Shmami not going to say that there's a chiyav. Rabbi Yishmael, you know why it said yitama? Either of law, since it had to say law to teach us the point that he shouldn't become tame for limbs. Once the Torah is going to write the extra words, so we'll add the other points as well, even though it's only adding it for the new teaching. Okay, now we get to the third, for the third machlokas. Olam Tavodu, you should always work the Kanani slaves. According to Rabbi Shmuel, that's Rishos. You're allowed to, if you'd like, you could, you could free them. There's no Isser. The Torah is just saying you may work them. It's a mitzvah. You have an obligation to work them. You cannot free slaves. My time, Rabbi Shmuel, where does Rabbi Shmuel come from that it's only discretionary? We know that the seven nations inside of Eretz Canaan, there's an Isser to keep them alive. Let's say when Klaiso got to the seven nations, they got to Israel, and they see someone from those seven nations, and they want to take them as a slave, it's forbidden. They have to kill them. So that's why the Torah has to say for other nations that you're allowed to work them. To tell us a novelty. Imagine you had a male from some other nations. Let's say some male who is not from Eretz Yisrael, Shabal Akananis, who had a relationship with a Canaanite woman, and they have a child. So what is that child? Is that child considered a Kanani that I have to kill? Or is that child considered from a different nation I don't have to kill? If I go after the father, he's not Kanani. If I go after the mother, he's Kanani. What's the halacha? 
So you are permitted to purchase him as a slave. He is not considered to be Kanani. We go after the father. How do I know if a male from one of the other nations besides Kanan, he had relations with a Kanani woman and they have a child. You're allowed to spare the child and keep him as a slave. From the children of the residents who live by you, from them you could purchase. So the Torah is saying you're allowed to purchase slaves from these nations surrounding Eretz Yisrael. So we're understanding from the Pesach, from among them, meaning even if there was someone from, 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 from outside of Israel who had a relationship with a girl from Israel, still you're allowed to. Yachol, you might think, What about the opposite? Let's say it's a Kanani man who had relations with a girl from one of the other nations. And now they have a kid. I might think I could also keep him as a slave. Since both parents are not Kanani, the mother is not Kanani. Maybe I could. They were born in your land. I was only Matzah, the ones born in your land. Not the ones who came back to live in your land. So what does that mean, who came back to live in your land? What does that have to mean? We're just saying you go after the father. So the Pshad is that women usually are always in the land where they gave birth. Women don't travel abroad to move around. So the Torah says the ones who were born in your land, that refers to a non-Kanani man who had relations with a Kanani woman. But the ones who live in your land is Mahashma Lesfalas. That let's say the Kanani man traveled abroad and had relations with a non-Kanani woman and then returned and now the child is returning to live with his dad in Israel. That one you can't keep alive. And that's the idea, that's what, the basic idea is that you always go after the father to determine the nationality of the kid. So what are we saying? The Pasuk Lamel Tavodu is coming to tell us a heter in this case, in this particular case, that you could keep a slave where the father is not a Kanani. It's not coming to tell us that there's a mitzvah to work them. For Rabbi Yekiva, how does he respond? Mayhem taking an I learned that from the words Mayhem taking The words you shouldn't work them is still extra. That's coming to tell me, Lachova. It's coming to tell me there's an obligation. I cannot free slaves. For Rabbi Shmuel, how does he respond? You know, Baham is teaching that you cannot force your brothers to work. What does that mean? That there's a concept of slavery by an evidentiary as well. There could be a Jewish slave. Let's say a guy is poor, he's indigent, and he sells himself in slavery. There's always telling you that you cannot work him in the same way. Yes, it's true that he works for you, but you have to respect him. You can't make him do things. For example, where there's no need, you have to... You always have to specify the time to a certain amount of things. It's treating with respect. It's not a full slavery. So Rabbi Akiva, how does he know that? From the brothers, we see from the end of the passage, your brothers, B'nai Yisrael, don't treat with hard break, back-breaking labor. It's B'feirish in the passage. Rabbi Shmuel, how does he know that? Since it was going to say with your brothers, it's not me, but also said the word, once the Torah is going to say one thing extra, it will repeat for symmetry the other points as well. So if you're noticing, all three machloks from Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva boil down to one point. Do I apply that methodology that once the Torah had to say one thing that was extra, so other things that were said in the Pasuk are just mentioned, thrown in with it, and I don't expound them? Or no, I say that each and every word is extra. Rabbi Akiva is very into each and every word is extra. Rabbi Shmuel is very into once the Torah had to say it, it repeated things which were unnecessary as well. And that gives us, to summarize, three disputes. What are the three disputes? Whether or not making a kinoi for the sota is discretionary or a mitzvah. Whether or not a coin bearing a relative is discretionary or it's a mitzvah. And whether or not having a slave and is, is discretionary that I could work him or it's a mitzvah that I must work him. Now we get back to adultery here. Adultery in a house is like a worm to a sesame. What happens if I have a worm and there's sesame around? What does the worm do? It eats it up all the sesame. So adultery is going to eat up the house. It's going to destroy the house. That's the idea. There's a, uh, if you have a bad wife, so, 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 so it ruins everything. It eats up the home. Anger in a house is like a worm to a sesame. The anger can destroy the house. Both are said about the woman. When the woman is busy with her 
uh, as, with herself and her, her infidelity. So then she doesn't do what needs to be done at home. And uh, therefore, basically, things don't get taken care of. And the anger as well, she's upset at, her hung, at, at the husband. It ruins the home. With the husband, we have no concern. His improper behavior doesn't, it doesn't destroy the house. So this is very interesting. It's one direction. Obviously, it reflects that a woman is the one that sets the tone for the home a little bit more. What happened? Before Kala Yisrael sinned, the Shekhinah was sure on each person. Every home was merited to have the Shekhinah Mamish present in their home. Hashem walks, Hashem exists, and amidst your camp, Mamish with you. Once Kala Yisrael started sinning with, it, with, with forbidden relations, and Stakish Kinah Meham, Akalish Baruch moves away from their home. Hashem shouldn't see ervas davar, which is a modest immoral behavior, and then he'll turn away from you. So that's the idea. Theoretically, with the purity of our homes, Kaddish Baruch would be mamish present in our homes, but our sins push him away. The mitzvah itself precedes you and it like, escorts you to come to the world to come. Your righteous deeds will precede you. Anyone who does a sin in this world, so that's an amazing word, it like surrounds you, it like grabs onto you, it doesn't clean, it doesn't leave. And it, and it goes in front of you on the day of judgment. So people get surrounded by their own sins and then they get lost. Sin is like, it's like a dog that doesn't leave, right? It's like a dog that gets loyal and connected to you and then it always by your side. It says by Yosef and Potiphar's wife, he says he wouldn't listen to her to lie with her and be with her. So what does that mean? To lie beside her means in this world. To be with her. And that's the idea. What Yosef understood is that by lying with her, it wasn't just a one-time mistake. It was going to be with him forever. Okay, now we get back to the discussion. Again, what did we speak about yesterday? In Eid Echad is Nemon to say that a sota did, did the deed, when after there's Kino and Sira, then there's Nehmonas, that the Yedachod says that she was Matama Tananas. It's in the Mishnah later. This is in the Mishnah coming up in the Masech. Somebody could have made logic to say that a single witness is not believed. If even the initial Edus, the Edus about the seclusion, at that time, you're not answering her permanently. right? The Edus on the Stira, what does that do? It causes her to become a Sota where we're nervous that she did it, but she could still clear her name by drinking the water. So the original Edus about the Stira doesn't answer her forever. still can't be established less than two witnesses. Right, the Torah says, we learned about this yesterday, Rabbi Yeshua's opinion, that you need two witnesses on the Sira. So in Eidus Achrona, about the final testimony, whether or not she actually did adultery, shows Satur's her Olam. Here we're answering her to her husband in a permanent way. There's no way she can clear her name if, if, if we have this testimony. All the more so, certainly you should need two witnesses. Meaning logic dictates that you should need more testimony for more of a permanent answer. So if to be make her a Suffolk Sota where she's going to drink, you need two witnesses when you're talking about the, the Stira. So certainly the, the, the Tumah where, you were, where the witnesses are answering her eternally, certainly you should require two witnesses. What does the Pasuk say? The Eid Ein Ba, Koshi Ba, like we learned yesterday. Torah said when there's not aid. So what does it mean there's not aid? Aid means there's not two witnesses. The implication is there is one witness and then she is answered. Okay, so now that we learn that there's Tumah, it's by Tumah, what's the din? One witness is believed. So now Kavachomer is Rishon Me'ata. So now Kavachomer takes it back to whether or not you should need two witnesses for Stira. Even the final testimony about the adultery itself. Where it's answering her forever. So we say it's established from even a single witness. 
So edus or rishonah she nesadim saulam. So in regard to the edus and the stira, which is establishing her as only a suffix sota, which is not necessarily an iser forever. So all the more so a single witness you would say works. It says that he found in her, this is in general, when a man is divorcing his wife, he found in her an immoral act. It says by It says the word davar in regard to testimony of two witnesses. Justice over there by money. The matter of testimony requires two witnesses. So to here, any issue of, of, of a riot requires two witnesses. So what does it sound like? It sounds like we're saying the reason why we know, the reason why we know that you need two witnesses is because of the Xer Shava of Dover Dover. So the Gemara is bothered that this contradicts what we learned yesterday. This halacha, you need two witnesses on the steer. You learned it from the Xer Shava of Dover Dover. It's not. We learned it from something else yesterday. Mi ba nafka. The halacha was ve'ed ein ba. There aren't two witnesses, but one witness who was believed about this, about the adultery. And what did we expound yesterday? Ba below bikino below below you know, only one witness is believed about the Tumah, but not about the warning and not about the stira. The Kinoi and the stira require two witnesses. So why today are we learning it out of Zer Shavav Davar Davar when yesterday we learned it out of Babalov Kinoi Babalov Stira? So the Mar says, you're right. We have to clarify what we're saying today. Hachi, Nami Ka'amar, in truth, you, we got it different. This is what it should, it should, the way we should explain it. Tamalomar Ba, the Torah says about her Ba, Babalov Kinoi Babalov Stira. That's how we know Kinoi and Stira need two witnesses. Now, the Brisek was meant to clean up the Tumah Ba'alma. In general, when it's not an issue of Kino and Stira, in general, if there's testimony about Arias, let's say out of left field, witnesses want to come and tell us that a woman committed adultery. Below Kino, below Stira, the Lomene, Yacham, and Allah. How do I know in general that Echad is not Neman? In other words, once the Torah is telling me that Echad is Neman about the Sota to say that she became defiled, how do I know that that's only, only after Kino and Stira? Maybe it's a general idea that always in Echad is Neman to say that a woman committed adultery. And then I bring the Xavier Shav. It says Dover by morality, and it says Dover by testimony. Just as over there it says Dover, and it means two witnesses. So to over here it says Dover, and it means two witnesses. So to summarize, the general rule is Dover, Dover. Generally, we require two witnesses for Dover Shabbat Erva. Here the Torah is telling us by Sota Xavier Sakasov, the Eidain Ba, that a single witness is believed about the Tumah. Once the Torah said that, I would say maybe. A single witness is believed about the Kino and Sira as well. And we say, Ba, no, Ba, below, Kino, below, Sira, for the Kino and Sira, two witnesses are required. The anomaly that one single witness is believed is only regarding the Toma that comes, La'achar, Kino and Sira.